Well, this morning we're starting a new series in the book of Mark, and uh, it's called Journey to the Cross. And so we're looking at the final chapters of Mark, and we're following Jesus as he makes his way slowly to Jerusalem to be, to be crucified. And on the way, uh, what Jesus does is he teaches his disciples uh, what it means to follow him, especially in light of his, of his crucifixion and his suffering. He's teaching them what it means to be a disciple. Now, you might ask, why are we starting this series now? And the answer is, uh, because of the season that we're in as a church, uh, many of you uh, know, and some of you may not know, that we're in the season of Lent, or we're about to be in the season of Lent. And you're saying, what is Lent? Is that what I get out of my pocket, um, you know, when, when my pants are in the dryer? No, Lent is the season of the year where the church traditionally has celebrated, or at least observed, uh, the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, it's a time where, where, we, where we think about, where we meditate on uh, Christ's suffering and his death, where we remember that our faith is really gathered around, that revolves around a man who died on the cross. And of course, this is a somber season, you know, this is not a happy, clappy season. Uh, but there are periods of the churches uh, uh, dur- during the times of the year and, and of our life together where we need to, to sort of soberly and somberly think about the crucifixion. So that's what we're doing here in this series. We're going to follow Jesus on the road to the cross. And today we're going to look at a very famous passage at the very beginning of Jesus' road to the cross where Jesus talks about the cost of following him. He's going to talk about the, the price that a person pays when they decide to follow Jesus, the cost of following him. Now, there are many advantages to being a Christian. And, you know, uh, you, know, I th- you know, you think about it, you know, becoming a Christian, it makes you, I believe, a better parent. It'll make you a better uh, spouse. Uh, you know, it'll, uh, it'll help you serve more uh, wholeheartedly. There's a lot of benefits to being a, a Jesus follower. You know, and Jesus uh, talked about this, you know, even the scripture we read this morning where Jesus said, come to me and take my yoke upon you and I'll give you rest for your soul. And so there's a benefit to following Jesus, rest for your soul. You know, peace in your life and your heart. Um, in another place, uh, Jesus said, A person who uh, hears my words and does them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And he said, The winds and the, the rain come and, and beat against the house, but because the house is built on the rock, it stands. And so many of you, you've seen people that because of their faith in Jesus, uh, because they're Jesus followers, uh, you know, suffering comes into their lives and they're able to have a, a stability about them. Uh, you know, their faith anchors them through the storms of life. And this is an advantage of being a Christian. It's an advantage of following Christ. And so um, I can tell you, I mean, without reservation, that being a follower of Jesus is the best possible life you could live in this world. As a minister of the gospel, I can say that. I believe that being a Christian is your best life. It's the best life that you could possibly live in this world. And yet... Jesus was also very clear about the cost of following him. He was very clear about the the price that a person pays when they decide to follow him. And I remember uh, there was a scripture uh, where where a man comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. He wanted to follow Jesus. He said, look, I'll follow you wherever you go. And, And Jesus responded like this. He said, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
And then Jesus got into a boat. There was a storm looming on the horizon, and he sailed straight into a storm. And he left that man on the shore that day because he counted the cost and said, you know what, I think I'll wait. And so Jesus was very clear about the fine print. Uh, He wasn't subtle about the cost and the difficulty of following him. In fact, at one point he said, count the cost. He said, nobody builds a house without first counting the cost of building. And he said, if you want to follow me, he says, count the cost before you do this. There is a price to pay for those who follow me. And it's, it's, it's in this moment when you realize whose you are. It's where you realize whether you are a consumer or a follower. It's where you realize if you're, if you're in it just for the things that Jesus gives you or whether you're really a disciple, someone who really follows him. Whenever Jesus talked about the cost, it sort of weeded people out. The people that were on the margins, the consumers from the true followers. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 8 and we're going to look at Peter. And this is a very famous passage, like I said, about Peter, about one man sort of wrestling with this idea of whether he's a consumer or a follower. You know, Peter's been following Jesus for a long time, and he's gone with him through all of these miracles and teachings, and he's followed him around Galilee. And at this moment, Peter's wrestling with the idea of whether he's a consumer or a follower. And so what I want us to do as we go through the passage is I, wanna, I want us to wrestle with Peter. I want us to wrestle with him and just to kind of figure out whether we're consumers or whether we're really willing to follow Jesus. There's a cost to following him. And, and Mark chapter 8 makes that very, very clear. And so uh, if you like outlines, here it is. Um, we're going to follow uh, Peter's wrestling here. We're going to see Peter's confession. And then we're going to see Peter's confusion. And then finally, we're going to see Peter's lesson, the lesson that he learns about uh, the cost of following Jesus. And so uh, we're going to go through these three things and just kind of walk through this passage. And so uh, let's look at Peter's confession. This is uh, verse 27. Now Jesus went on, on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? So the setting of the story is in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is a pagan city. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's not in Israel. Um, This is a Gentile area. And it's named after uh, Caesar Augustus. In fact, in this city, there was a big temple dedicated to the worship of Caesar, who was known throughout all the empire as the son of God, a divine ruler. And so here they are up in this Gentile area, and Jesus asks his disciples a question. He says, uh, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And so Jesus asked them a question. Now, when Jesus asks the question, it's not for his own benefit. Right? Jesus knows everything, right? He, he, he doesn't need to, the answer to this question. He's not asking them out of security. Like, what are people saying about me? And it's not like his disciples are, are saying, you know, Jesus, people are talking about you. Don't worry, all good things, all good things. You know, some people say Elijah, he's a pretty good guy. And some say, well, you're one of the prophets. You know, you're among the greats, Jesus. Uh, you're right up there with Muhammad and, and, and Buddha and Elijah and one of the prophets. All good things, Jesus. 
Uh, no, Jesus isn't asking this question for his own benefit. Whenever Jesus asks the question, it's for the benefit of, a, of the disciples. And so he says, who do people say that I am? He wants them to wrestle with his identity. He wants them to wrestle with, uh, with who he is. And in fact, in Mark, this has been the main looming question throughout the whole narrative. There's been a tension in the narrative. Who is this man? Who is this man who casts out demon and raises people from the dead? Who is this man who even the wind and the waves obey him? And so they give him all these answers, but then Jesus narrows down and it gets personal. After they had given him all these answers, verse 29, he asks them, but who do you say that I am? You see, this is what Jesus really wants to know. Right? He, he, wants, he wants to know if they personally know who he is. Uh, he's not asking for a, a theological answer on an exam. He wants to know if they've embraced his true identity for themselves. Do they, knew, do they know who he is? Who do you say that I am? You see, at some point, each of us need to wrestle and decide for ourselves who Jesus is. And so Jesus makes it personal. You know, many of us are happy with uh, make, keeping it impersonal. You know, my spouse believes in Jesus. Um, you know, I know my parents believed in Jesus. And I kind of have a general idea of who Jesus is. But, but Jesus is not content with that. He wants us to, to wrestle with and decide for ourselves, who do you say he is? Is he your Lord? Is he your king? And that's exactly what he wants uh, the disciples to come to grips with. And so I think there was a pause here as Jesus asked the question. And then, like always, Peter piped up. I love Peter. Peter is always just gung-ho. He's always just saying, he's jumping out there first. Whether it's right or whether it's wrong, he's going to say it 100%. And so he blurts out. Peter answered, answered, you are the Christ which is exactly what Jesus wanted to hear. You are the Christ. Now, the word Christ is not, um, this is not Jesus' last name, right? Um, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach, which literally means anointed one. In the Old, in the Old Testament, there's this long-awaited figure, uh, the Messiah, who was uh, going to be a, a divine figure who comes into the world and who conquers evil and makes all things right and sets up God's kingdom on earth. And so Peter says the right answer. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. Jesus, uh, Peter gets the right answer. He owns it for himself. He says, I believe you're the, not, not just the king. He says, you're my king. You are my Messiah. I believe in you. I'm, I'm, I'm owning you, Jesus. He makes his confession, and, and Jesus wants all of us to come to grips with that. And have you come to the personal confession that Jesus Christ is your king? Peter does. But notice what Jesus does next. Peter says, you are the Christ, in verse 29, and then verse 30. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So this is odd, isn't it? I mean, Peter makes the right confession. You are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the King. And what does Jesus do? He says, shh, don't say anything. 
I mean, why does Jesus do that? I mean, isn't that the opposite of what we're supposed to do? I mean, we're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus here? Peter makes this confession, and Jesus says, be quiet. Don't tell anybody. Why does Jesus do this? Well, here we're going to move on to our next point, which is Peter's confusion. Peter has made the right confession, but he's confused about what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, what Jesus means by the Messiah and what Peter means by the Messiah is not the same thing. When, when Peter says Messiah, he's thinking royal figure, divine figure, who conquers the enemies, makes everything right, and sets up an Israeli world domination. Where Jesus is on top and we're on top with him. This is what Peter means, but notice what Jesus does. He begins to tell them what he means by it. And this is in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and on, after, after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Now this would have been an absolute bombshell for his disciples. Because what Jesus does is he connects the Son of Man, which is another word for Messiah, with suffering. And nobody in the history of Israel had ever connected these two ideas before. I mean, Peter was, uh, in some ways, he was parroting what everybody else in Israel thought. The Messiah was going to come and rule and dominate. And what Jesus does here is he says the the Messiah is going to come into the world. He's going to roll into Jerusalem, not to get on a throne, but to get on a cross. Not to set up a world domination, but to suffer at the hands of Rome and the Jewish leaders. He connects suffering with being the Messiah. Nobody had ever done this before. This was, was an absolute shocking bombshell, and Peter doesn't like it. This is not what Peter had in mind when it came to Jesus and Messiah. He wanted him to be on top. He wanted Jesus to be on top. This was something that was good for him and everybody. And so notice what Peter does here. In verse 32, he said this plainly, and and then then it says that Peter took him aside, Peter took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. Wow. (laughs) Such chutzpah. The word rebuke here is the same word that, that that is used of Jesus rebuking demons. And so Peter takes Jesus aside, and in the harshest uh, possible language, begins to rebuke Jesus. And it's almost like Peter, you know, he takes him aside and he says, you know, Jesus, um, things are going well here. You know, uh, people like us, we're, we're popular, you're famous, we're all kind of famous. Things are going incredibly well. Don't go all negative on us here, Jesus. Don't, you know, what, what, what do you mean by uh, suffering and dying and being killed? Jesus, remember that time you were, on the, we were out on the Sea of Galilee and a big storm arose and you told it to be quiet and the weather obeyed you. You're not going to suffer, Jesus. What are you talking about? This is nonsense, Jesus. Now you get back there, Jesus, and you start talking about prayer or something. Right? You talk about the birds and the flowers and none of this negative stuff anymore. I mean, imagine that. But here, uh, Jesus, uh, he's going to rebuke Peter back. Peter rebuked him. He's going to rebuke Jesus back. And notice what Jesus says to him in verse 33. He says, get behind me, Satan. 
It's got to be one of the top ten things you don't want to hear from the Son of God, right? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, you've exposed something about yourself. You've exposed, you've exposed that you are absolutely confused about who I am and what I came to do. You think that, that, that I've come here to dominate and to rule and go from success to success, but I'm telling you that following me is all about suffering. It's about bearing a cross. And you know, a lot of people are confused about this. Um, you know, you think about the ancient world. There was Constantine who was uh, this ruler of, of the Roman Empire, who was all about domination, very selfish man. At one point, he converted to Christianity. And he made Christianity the, the religion of the empire. And some of you know this if you know your history. But what Constantine did is he took on the name Jesus, but none of Jesus' values. He was just as selfish. He was just as power-hungry. He was just into domination and violence, but he put the name Jesus on it. And even in our day, I mean, you think about some teachers whose books sell really well. All you've got to do is say that Jesus wants to make you healthy and wealthy and powerful and successful, and you're going to sell a lot of books. But that's a confusion about the way of Jesus. It's Christianity without the cross. Peter's confused, and I think there are many in our culture that are even confused about this idea. And so, uh, Jesus goes on after he rebukes Peter, and he's going to teach him a lesson. And he's going to teach all of us a lesson on what it means to follow him. And we see this in verse 34. Notice here's the lesson. We're going to sort of anchor our time here, we're going to camp out here, and we're going to talk about the cost of, of, of following Jesus, the price that we pay for being a follower. And here's what Jesus says. And call, this is verse 34. And calling a crowd to him, and, and with his disciples. So this is not just to Peter, and this is not just to the disciples. This is a teaching for the disciples and all of the crowds. Jesus wants to know for, to everybody. This is an invitation to everybody of what it means to follow him in verse 34. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels." And so Jesus here is talking about the cost or the price that we pay when we follow him. And notice he says here, uh, the first part of this cost, he says, if you, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself. He says, whoever wants to be my follower, if you, if you want to go after me, if you want to be considered someone who is uh, in my group of disciples, he says, you need to understand that you need to deny yourself. Now what does this mean, deny yourself? Now, it's more than simply denying things for yourself. Uh, we all know about that. You're at a restaurant, you, uh, the, the waiter comes and says, do you want dessert? And you say, no, I'm going to deny myself. 
And we, you know, we all do that. Probably all of us practice some self-discipline where we deny ourselves food. Uh, if you're a runner, you deny yourself sleep in the morning maybe or you exercise. He's talking about more than simply denying things for yourself. Uh, there's a lot of wicked uh, men and women who were very self-disciplined. And so it's more than simply self-discipline. What is, and that's a good thing, self, self-discipline. But denying yourself is more than that. When he says deny yourself, he's talking about denying your complete self in a wholesale way. He's talking about uh, laying down your agenda. He's talking about your, laying down your right to self-determination and surrendering it to Jesus. It's, he's talking about somebody who says, look, I, I, I'm going to give up the rights to rule my own life. I'm going to lay down my agenda, and my question is now going to be, God, what do you want for my life? In other words, my life is not revolving around me and what I want. My life now as a disciple revolves around Jesus. It orbits around Jesus instead of me. Now, this is the opposite of what what Peter did, right? You know, Peter was all about his own agenda. Peter said, look, Jesus, um, I've got an agenda. Uh, Jesus, I want to be powerful. I want to be successful. I want to make a lot of money. And you know what, Jesus, you're going to help me get there. In other words, Jesus was was the means to the end. The end was his own agenda. But to follow Jesus is to say, look, Jesus, you are the end. I'm giving my life over to you. Not, and Jesus, you know, this is what Jesus himself did in the garden. He said, God, not my will, but your will be done. This is what it means to deny yourself. It means to lay down your life, to lay down your right to make decisions and, and for your own self and your own life for your own good and to say, Jesus, what do you want for my life? And this is costly because notice Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When he says take up your cross, he's talking about the cost of doing this. You know, in our day, a a cross is a piece of jewelry. It's iconic, it's beautiful, people wear crosses around their neck, Uh, you know, it's on architecture and things like that. But in the first century, uh, the cross was an instrument of execution, And the people in Jesus' day knew about the cross. They walked by them every day. They lined the streets of Jerusalem. And it was humiliating, and it was incredibly painful. It would be like, you know, we wear crosses around our necks. It would be like wearing a gas chamber around your neck. And so what Jesus is saying here, there's a death involved in doing this. There's a death to self. In some ways, there's a death to your own agenda. You give up all your old attachments. You give up your right to rule your own life and to maximize yourself. And you say, Jesus, it's going to be all about you instead of me. This is incredibly costly. And then Jesus says, if you want to follow me, here's the cost. You take up your cross and you follow me. Uh, nobody knew this better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I, I've talked to some, uh, about him before, but... Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was um, a, a leader in the early part of the 20th century who, who resisted the totalitarian regime, totalitarian regime of the Nazi uh, empire. And he sacrificed his own life to follow Jesus to uh, lead a rebellion against Hitler. 
He died in a concentration camp. But he wrote a a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in the book, he says this. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. Not just on Jesus, but on every Christian. It is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it, means, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And then he says, this is in your bulletin, this little quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who, who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be the death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is, it is the... It is, the same death every time, the death of Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. And so in other words, he's saying, look, when you decide to follow Jesus, you die to your own agenda. And for the disciples, this meant a literal death. Like they followed Jesus, and almost every single one of these men died for Christ. But for all of us, there, there's a death to our own agenda, and it means that we're going to lose things if we follow Jesus. It means you're going to suffer loss. Uh, one fan, and there's stories of this all throughout church history. Another man um, named Jim Elliott. Some of you may have heard of Jim Elliott. Um, Jim Elliott was a, was a follower of Jesus. And he, he, um, he, he grew up in, in Portland, Oregon, which is a cool city. And then later on, he moved with his parents to Seattle, which was also a really cool city. Great places to live. And Jim Elliott grew up, you know, and in grade school and then in high school, he began to display a a, a great intellect. He was great at sports. Um, He was on the wrestling team, did very well. Uh, He was a great public speaker. And in fact, some of his teachers recommended that he might maybe go into acting. He was a good-looking guy. Uh, Just had a great future ahead of him. He could have gone into just about anything, made lots of money. But Jim, Jim Elliott, when he graduated high school, began to realize that God was giving him a heart to be a missionary. And so he developed a heart and a love for this people group down in Honduras. Uh, it was not an unreached group. It was a dangerous group. And so he, he leaves this uh, opportunity to go to a good college. He goes down uh, to Honduras, and he's serving this people group down there, and they, he eventually is killed as a missionary. And in his journal there, down in Honduras, he, begins, he writes, they found the journal, and before, when he knew he was in trouble, he writes this, a man is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And he gave up his life to follow Christ. This is the cost for him. Now, for many of us, we're not going to die, <laughs> most likely. But, but for all of us, there's going to be daily decisions that you make where following Jesus is going to cost you. Maybe that means staying in a very difficult marriage because you believe that, that Jesus believes in strong marriages and following him means that you endure hardship in a marriage instead of bailing. Or maybe it means spending your money differently. You know, maybe it means giving more money to the poor. Maybe it means uh, not moving into a house that you could move into. Uh, You know, maybe it means something related to your finances. Or maybe following Jesus will cost you in terms of career moves. In fact, I bet there's, I would wager in a room this size, there are many of us who are battling with very difficult decisions related to the cost of following Jesus. Jesus. 
And Jesus says, look, are you a consumer or are you a follower? It's in these moments where we realize whose we are. Whether we're in this Christianity thing just for us, or whether we're willing to make hard decisions and go the way of the cross and undergo a death in order to follow Christ. Jesus says, look, I'm going to say this as plain as I can. This is not fine print. There's going to be a death to self, a death to your own agenda, and that will be a cross. It'll be costly. Because it grates against our natural desires for self-will. You know, Martin Luther said that the essence of the human heart is that it is incurvatus in se, which is Latin for our hearts are curved in on themselves. And Jesus says the only way out of this is to give your life up for me and for others. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Now somebody says, why should I do this? Notice what Jesus goes on to say. He makes this incredible promise. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? In other words, Jesus says there's a cost to non-discipleship. There's a way of living where you grab on, where you, where you seek to maximize yourself, where you live for yourself. It's all about your own agenda and your own life and success, and it's all about me. And Jesus says that life is the pathway to destruction. If you seek to grab on to your life, you're going to lose it. But the, the person who just says, look, I'm scared, but I'm going to let it go. It may mean that I lose things, but I'm going to let my life go. Jesus says, when you let your life go to me, and you lay down your, your agenda, and you surrender yourself to my will, he says, there you find life. If you lose your life, you find it. You see, Jesus knows something about us. He knows that we were created to not live for ourselves. We were created to live like God. We were created to, to pour ourselves out for him and for others. And when you pour yourself out is when you find the reason why God made you. Now you say, well, how do I know I can trust Jesus here? I mean, these are hard words. I don't know if I want to lose my life. How do I know that I can trust Jesus? Well, listen to the one who's talking here. Jesus said, I, I'm first going to go to a cross for you. Jesus says, I am the one who loses my own life to get you. Can you trust me? Can you put your life in the hands of a man whose hands were pierced through for you? Jesus said, look, I lost my life for you. I gave it all up for you. And I'm calling you into a life of difficulty and self-sacrifice. I'm calling you into a life where you have to give everything up and you lose it. But, I'm, but trust me. Trust me here. The way you find your life is by losing it. And the way you find yourself is by giving yourself away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage about following you, the cost of following you. And um, God, I know that there are many, many people in this room that are battling, wrestling uh, with this idea of, am I a consumer? Um, am I going to be a Christian who is still kind of following my own agenda or am I going to lay down my own agenda and surrender myself to you? 
God, we know that there's a, a cost, there's a, certain, there's a death involved in that. But we pray, Lord, that you would give us courage to follow you. Uh, to follow you, Lord, in giving ourselves away. And, um, Lord, making different decisions, serving others, uh, surrendering our will to your will. Lord, give us the grace to do this, we pray in Jesus' name.